As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All listeners on this frequency, stand by for an important announcement. Welcome to Medic to Medic Podcast, the weekly podcast for EMS providers, EMS leaders, EMS medical directors, and others involved in or those who have an interest in emergency medical services. Ladies and gentlemen, here's your host, Steve Cohen. Coming from the Cary Air EMS Medic to Medic Podcast Studios. Hi, it's Steve Cohen. It's another episode of Medic to Medic Podcast. You can listen to this podcast as well as download others at speaker.com, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Today I am joined by Jeffrey Payne from Dayton, Ohio. Jeffrey is a Marine, he's a firefighter, he's a husband, a father, and now he is a part-time retiree. Uh, Jeffrey is, was the chief of the Dayton Fire Department, which in 2019 had multiple mass incidents that we're going to get into and talk about and how his department responded and how he responded to that. Uh, he's been in the fire department uh, all his life as well. Uh, after being a Marine, we'll learn more about everything he's done in his career. So, Jeff, welcome to Medic to Medic Podcast. Oh, well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, and, uh, and uh, it's a pleasure uh, to everybody out there to maybe I can share my experiences with them. So I always like to start off, Jeff, with uh, telling us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, um, like you mentioned, I, I was in the Marines for four years. Uh, after coming out of the Marines, shortly thereafter, I joined the Dayton Fire Department in Dayton, Ohio. I, uh, I worked for the Dayton Fire Department uh, for 31 years, retiring on January 17th of this year. Uh, along the way, I served as firefighter EMT, fire lieutenant, fire captain, uh, assistant chief, uh, which uh, in charge of operations for the department. And uh, then ultimately, I was chief of the department from starting in 2014 until my retirement in January of 2020. And along the way, I married my current wife. Uh, we have uh, two kids, 
One uh, one son is in the fire service at a local suburban community in Dayton, Ohio, where he serves not only in the fire service, but they also serve as police officers. So it's a public safety division for that city. So he does both gigs. He's a fire medic and a uh, police officer on his 24-hour shift. Um, and then my other son's currently in school at the University of Illinois, uh, studying to be a doctor. And... And my wife, uh, she is in, has been in sales her whole life, and she is uh, transitioning into retirement herself here in the next few months. Since uh, my retirement uh, in January, uh, well, I guess it wasn't since my retirement, starting in 2013, I become the sponsoring agency chief for Ohio Task Force One, which is one of 28 FEMA urban search and rescue teams uh, located across the country. So I've been their sponsoring agency chief for the last uh, almost, uh, we're going on almost seven years now. Uh, I am also uh, within FEMA, I'm in the strategic group. I represent the East Division of the FEMA uh, Urban Search and Rescue System and all the teams in the Eastern Division. And uh, I'm, they have uh, obviously three of us, uh, East, Central, and Western um, Division reps that sit on this uh, strategic group. And we meet with uh, FEMA Urban Search and Rescue Headquarters staff, and uh, we devise a strategy moving forward for the system. Currently, uh, in addition to that, I am the Executive Director of the Miami Valley Fire and EMS Alliance, which is a regional council of governments. And um, what I do is I represent 23 fire departments in the Dayton region. Uh, we And I provide support for them, whether it be in training, purchasing, and uh, some effort, not infrastructure stuff, but other pieces of equipment uh, like a face piece testing and, uh, and ladder testing. And I've uh, been doing that since January and a little challenging, but uh, it's great to stay in touch with the fire chiefs. So that pretty much brings you up to date. Well, it sounds like you really didn't retire. <laughs> no, no. Uh, but I tell you what, it gives me a little bit of something to do. So I, in this transition is uh, anyone that's retired, uh, and I'm finding out it's it's tough going from you know knowing you got to get up, you have a mission, you go to work, you know what you have to get done to being retired. Then you kind of have to figure out how you're going to fill your day, and uh, some days are easier than others. Where'd you grow up? Uh, I did grow up here in the Dayton region. I've lived here my entire life. And other than the four years I was in the, in the Marines. And um, obviously I spent some time at Virginia Beach, uh, Norfolk area, um, for, while I was in the Marines. And then down uh, not far from you at Camp Lejeune for a couple of years. Sure. That's just about a 45-minute ride from where, where I'm sitting today. Well, how, how did it feel to grow up in the Dayton area and then serve in, in the area that you grew up with? I did the same thing. You're from Dayton area, and I'm from Pittsburgh. And I got to, in my career, I started working for the city of Pittsburgh before I moved on in my career. It was really unique to grow up and work uh, in the city where I you know, lived and went to school and and also see patients that I knew or my, my parents knew, and it was kind of interesting. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it, it is uh, kind of an interesting uh, dynamic, I guess, um, because, you know, you grow up seeing, uh, you know, the fire service, watching them do their thing, then, then you are one, you know, and then you move up in the organization, 
and then people you went to school with or all of a sudden you're you're hearing from them and how their parents were in the fire service how their parents were former chiefs of the department but i never knew um i'd go to class reunions and maybe some of their parents might actually be there and i strike up conversations with them they're retired firefighters and and uh, so really, it's kind of a small world, and uh, it's kind of nice helping helping those that, you know, you've been around your whole life and uh, kind of making a difference for them. And what led you to join the Marines? I guess I was really looking for something different. Uh, I wanted a challenge, and I certainly found one uh, for years. It was, uh, but it was a great uh, experience for me. Uh, it really kind of molded me and kind of, made me the person I am in addition to how I was raised by my folks. I uh, kind of also kind of supplemented that, complemented that actually, and uh, providing me some, uh, you know, discipline and some regimentation and some uh, significant leadership skills. And, uh, you know, uh, but I, I just, I was looking for something to, to get into. Uh, at the time I was working at a local air freight company and it just wasn't doing it for me. And, uh, I needed something, something different. So, uh, so I did that, did my four years, um, really made me appreciate what I had, you know, uh, outside of military life, you know, in the civilian world, you know, really take a lot of things for granted, but, um, it really did well for me. And what led you to becoming a firefighter? Well, I, um, I actually served a suburban fire department and uh, volunteer status before I joined the Marines. So I had a little bit of an interest in it and I uh, knew enough of it to where I thought this might be a nice thing to do, but I really didn't have a desire or didn't really think I wanted to be a full-time firefighter. Uh, it wasn't until I was, I was in, while well, I was still in the Marines, two of my friends, two of my really close friends came dating firefighters. And so when I'd come home, I'd hear the stories and hear about it and, uh, and I said, man, this sounds pretty neat. And so my last year I was in the Marines, one of those friends told me, hey, you got, we got a test coming up in April, you know, which was going to be a couple months after I got out of the Marine Corps. He said, you need to sign up for that. Here's the date, sign up. And so really, because of that person, I took the test and did well enough to be hired. And even then, I thought, you know, this kind of like the Marines. I said, this might be a nice challenge. You know, this. let's just uh, – let's take a flyer on this. Let's go and do this. And I, after about halfway through the fire Academy, I realized this is for me. That's when it really struck, struck me, struck home with me that, uh, this is what I really love to do. And I, I never wavered from that. I never changed my mind. I look forward to going into work every day. And to this day, I still say it's the best job in the world. Well, how about taking us back to when you were a probie? And what was it like your first time on the, the, the truck after the fire academy? And then you go to your first fire. Or what? Tell me about how you felt. Uh, how Were you scared? And were you sweating? What was going on? Tell us all about it. Oh, sure. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, you got some nerves going on. Because I did, did fairly well in the fire academy. And, uh, and I really uh, thought, okay, I could do this. But when you... The rubber meets the road. You get out in the firehouse when it's real. You're not in a controlled environment anymore, and you're working with, you know, seven, eight other people in your firehouse that have been doing this a while. Then you find out how little you know, and so you are kind of nervous. Okay, so you, 
But after you get that first fire or two in, then you realize, okay, I can do this. And, uh, of course, being the new guy, being the probie, I never did anything right. You know, just like you see in the movies. Okay, you're doing it all wrong. You know, come on, kid. You know, I think for 10 years I was the cub or the kid or, or the rookie, you know. And, it's, and I'm like in my late 20s, and I think almost thinking, man, let's move on. Okay, you got me here. Okay, uh, but they kept it up. But I tell you what, it really – Really, uh, there's a method to the madness because they were keeping my feet to the fire, making sure I was never comfortable, you know, and they were really pushing me, and uh, that helped me a lot. And, and those folks become really good friends of mine, uh, even to this day, and I think we find that out in the fire service. The friends you make in the fire service are friends for life. And uh, But I, I, I was, I was nervous. The practical jokes. You know, the new guy, you know, buckets of water landing on your head from out of nowhere, uh, uh, emptying the grease traps, uh, cleaning the toilets, mopping the floors. You're the rookie. You did it all. Do you remember, what was it like on your first fire? My first fire? Um, oh, nerves. Uh, really nervous. Because you don't know what you're going to do. When you're in the fire academy, everything is a controlled environment. You kind of know what you're going to get into. And you know it's not going to get out of hand. Uh, but your first fire, when you're responding, you don't know what to expect. You know, even a room and contents fire, you, you're thinking the worst. Boy, this thing's going to go up that bloom frame uh, structure, and it's going to be in the attic. You know, and you know what's going to happen to us. And uh, but then you get there, and um, then you find out that captain or your lieutenant, whoever your company officer is, they got you on their hip, and they're telling you what to do, and they're showing you. And then your training kind of kicks in at that point. They give you enough guidance to get you on your way, and then that boosts your confidence. But up to that point, up till you really start doing it and seeing, getting the, the positive feedback, you know, that what you're doing is having an effect on, on the operation of that fire, you really don't know. And, uh, but then you just kind of build some confidence after that. I've been in plenty of burning buildings in my career. And uh, actually, I prefer to let the firefighters do their job and bring the patients to me. And I've always <laughs> been happy with that. Uh, I remember going through the fire academy in Philadelphia. And the first time I had the, the tip and we're going through, you're right, it's a controlled environment. But I don't think it's a controlled environment. I'm scared to death, and I'm sucking on the uh, all the air I can. And all of a sudden, we make this turn around uh, the corner, and all of a sudden, that heat hit my mask and hit my and just hit my body. I could feel going through my my protective gear, and then all of a sudden, the orange glow. And I'm pretty sure I said, "Start the water" or something. I don't remember, but all I know is that the hose got big, and I was able to knock down the fire. But uh, so that's it, not for me. So. Uh, I'm, right? Yeah, well, okay. I, I remember that like it was yesterday. So you were working for Dayton Fire. Did What were your thoughts about moving up the career ladder? Was it something you were thinking about? And how would you feel about it? And what made you decide to start to become a lieutenant, then a captain, assistant chief, and then eventually becoming the chief? What were your thoughts in those early days? Yeah, you know, I was perfectly happy being a firefighter. I liked uh, the what. What, my, what I had to do in my capacity. I was real, I become real comfortable with it. But then after about three years for at three years, you were eligible at three years after probation, you were eligible to take the 
promotional exam. And uh, I really didn't necessarily uh, want to move up at that point in time, but I thought, you know, at some point I'm going to want to, I want to take this seriously. So I'm going to do my best, you know, study and be prepared for this exam because the bit more prepared you are for that first one, each subsequent test you may take, you know, for a promotion is going to be maybe a little bit easier because you've seen the material, you know, the process. So like I said, I was perfectly happy as I was loving life. I had a great crew. Uh, we had fun every day and, uh, we worked hard and we played hard. And, um, but, uh, and I always said that if I never retired, I could stay at this particular firehouse the rest of my career. And I still think that this today, had I not been promoted, I'd have worked there the rest of my career. Uh, it's just that much fun. But, you know, ultimately, I uh, the first test promotional exam I took um, didn't work out. I didn't get promoted off that list. Uh, however, the second one, three, two years later, I did become a lieutenant. So this was 1996. Um, you know, but by that time I'm kind of getting ready to grow. I'm ready to move up. You know, I've got this firefighter thing down, uh, pretty well. I think I'm ready to take the next step, next challenge. So, and that was as the Lieutenant. And again, you know, had a lot of fun, really had great crews, like being at busy companies. Uh, so I was always in the busiest companies in the city because that's where you have the most fun. That's uh, the morale's better. You know, everyone's having a good time at the busy companies. So I did that for uh, three years or so. And I thought, okay, I think I'm ready to take the next step for captain. And uh, so I, again, uh, the first exam I took wasn't successful. Um, But the second exam, two years after that, I took, I was promoted to captain. And okay, uh, this was the next step. Because when you're a captain, then you start running the inside operations at a fire. You just didn't have your three people on your engine crew. The lieutenant rode on the engine. You had three firefighters with you. Now you had uh, two and three engine crews plus your ladder crew on the inside battling a fire from the inside while the chief's on the outside running the entire operation. And so you're taking that next step and you're growing and you're learning in the incident command system where your role is and how this all works as a system. And, uh, and I was really enjoying that. And that was my goal my whole career. If I made captain, I was, was going to be happy and, and I didn't care if I moved up to district chief. Captain was the dream job. Everyone loved being a captain. Well, so that worked out great. I became the training training officer for the department within a year or two after being promoted to captain. And I fulfilled the training officer role for about two years. So in the training officer, you have the training center. We have about a 10-acre facility with a couple burn buildings, flashover container, classrooms. Um, so you run the training for the whole department, plus you manage your training center and the training center has other departments come in and use our facility. So you kind of have to manage that. And at the time, Ohio task force one was being formed and the city of Dayton allowed them to have some property at our training grounds for their training center. So I was managing that as well. So I did that for a while, enjoyed that did my two years, but see, it's a different gig because you have to work Monday through Friday, 40 hour work week. And so after two years, both my wife and I are ready for me to go back to the firehouse. You know, she liked having her one day off every three days. 
you know, when I was at the firehouse, I liked having my two days off after my duty day, you know, so, so, um, so after a couple of years, I went back to firehouse and I did that for a couple of years. I started riding up as a district chief when, uh, cause I was just kind of floating. I didn't have a firehouse. So I was floating around filling in, uh, for other captains that were off. So, uh, so when there wasn't a position for me, they would ask if I'd be interested in being the central chief when it wasn't filled that day. So I said, yeah, that'd be fun. That's something different to do. Now I'm running, I'm going to run fires. Okay. Cause I'm going to be an acting district chief and I'm going to have a captain and you know, on the inside out running inside, I'm going to be running the outside in the entire operation. And so I did that and, and that was pretty interesting. It kind of gave me a taste and I think I'm ready to, I might want to be one of these district chiefs someday, but I'm still happy as a captain. Well, then one day, one fateful day, I was down, uh, I was central chief at company fours, which is, uh, right below headquarters actually. And, uh, one of the staff from up there goes, uh, Hey, they have an opening as an assistant chief. Uh, did you put it in your resume? Nah, I don't want to do that. I don't have any desire to work in an office you know, the rest of my life, you know. And he told me, you know, that's too bad because you'd have been my pick, you know. And that that was that was it. That that's where I went wrong because I thought, man, somebody has faith that I can do that job. Okay, here I am. It's a repeating theme, you know. Guy looking for challenges here, right? So I'll do the interview just for practice, just like I took the written test for promotional exams you take for practice because someday you're going to be ready to do it so i interviewed and i got the job this was 2008 uh been on dane fire department since 89 so what i'm at 21 years at this point and uh i thought okay so i i have to do at least four years for my pension i thought i could probably do this so that was 2008 and uh, I've become an assistant chief. Assistant chief is the second tier below the chief of the department. And uh, and then I took over operations, did that for five years. And then, of course, that took me up until 2013, become interim chief, and then early 14, the chief of the department. So, Jeff, what are some of the lessons you learned from the not getting promoted or not doing well in the tests for the captain and the lieutenant? You know, you, you, didn't, you got passed over for promotion. Uh, what did you learn from that, and how did you recover? You know, um, and they, that's interesting, Steve, uh, that you said learn, because that's what you do when you do this. You you learn, and uh, because there's a lot of folks that they're not ready for, for promotion, but they want to go through the process, to learn the process, to to learn what they have to study, so, and determine the gaps and what you thought you had studied and you as well-prepared, but but obviously you wasn't because they were. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Some gaps there. So you learn the gaps you, and so that next time you take the exam, you're more prepared. And not only, it isn't just a process to get promoted, it's a process to build your knowledge uh, to where you can use that knowledge as an officer in the next level up in the organizational structure. And uh, that's what I learned from it. You know, I didn't see it as a disappointment or a failure because we had a, we have a lot of good people in the Dayton Fire Department. You know, so it's a competition. And uh, they just, they were more prepared. They remember, they studied the right stuff. You know, maybe, maybe they were lucky and they studied the right books. It was more of a focus for the chief of the department and civil service at that point. You know, but it, I didn't take it personally. I learned from it. We had assessment centers back then. So it, it helped push me into learning the incident command system and how I'm going to communicate while using that process better. And uh, it made me a better person and a better officer, I believe. Talk about your leadership style. My leadership style, uh, interesting. I am definitely not the micromanager. Uh, my leadership style is I'm going to give the folks an assignment. I'm going to make sure they understand the assignment. And I'm giving them an assignment I feel they're capable of performing. And if they have an issue or a problem, they could come and let me know. But I'm not going to sit there and watch them or tell them how to do something because they have the training and the knowledge to do it. And I followed that style all the way up as I moved up the, the structure. As a lieutenant, I had three firefighters. I delegated assignments across those three firefighters, whether in the firehouse or at a fire. And I expected them to do it when they were done. They were to come back and let know I've completed my assignment. Um, and then I would either have something else for them to do or they would stand by. But so you, you take that style and that served me well, I believe, because then when I became assistant chief of operations and then ultimately the chief of the department, I utilized those folks, those key folks to complete the mission. You can't, you can't sit there and observe and do everything when you get to those levels you have to have chiefs underneath you subordinate chiefs and you uh, provide them uh, with with tasks you want completed and they can use their leadership skills to get that done and then that that was just always been my leadership style i expected people to get things done and served me well because i tell you and it really worked out very well because as chief my staff was well prepared for my departure because I knew I was leaving two years. My job was to get them ready. So I didn't sit there and tell them how to get something done. This is your role. If you can't do it, let me know. And so previously, some of them had come from other departments where they weren't given the latitude to get the job done the best way they see fit. And that's just the way I've always looked at it. There's more than one way to, to get something done. And uh, so I'm going to let the other folks get it done the best way they know how. Here's what I expect out of you, and this is the results. You get it done the best way you see fit. Please describe your department, how it operates, and then we're going to get into 2019, which was an extremely rough year for your, your department. Well, the Dayton Fire Department is roughly 350 personnel. 
we have 14 facilities, 12 of those being firehouse. Each house has either a fire engine or a ladder truck. And uh, we have seven transport units stationed around the city within those, those 12 firehouses. And so on each medic unit, you have a ALS person, which can be either a, a paramedic or a firefighter paramedic. And the other person is an EMT or a firefighter EMT. The engines have a lieutenant and three firefighters. And the captains have, or the ladder trucks have a captain and three firefighters. And we have, like I said, we had seven medic units, which are transport units. We have, we have uh, eight engine crews. One of them may get browned out. So effectively every day we have a minimum of seven engine crews, but up to eight engine crews. And we have four ladder crews throughout the city. And then you have a district chief that's in charge at the east side of the city. And then you have a district chief in charge of the west side of the city. And then you have the central chief who fills in typically for one of those two when they're off on vacation or sick. So that's each duty day. So you're on for 24 hours and then you're off for 48. So each 24 hour shift, you have that same structure, just different people. So then we have a fire garage. We have a training center. Those are the other two facilities that I had mentioned. And then of course, headquarters is the chief of the department. We have three assistant chiefs. And then of course we have the support staff. You have uh, the training staff. You have uh, safety officer, um, dedicated safety officer. You have a mercy planner. And uh, then we have uh, a lieutenant that's kind of in charge of the uh, technical computer stuff. How many calls uh, on average per year over the last couple of years or even the last year that you, before you retired, how many calls does the fire department run? About 35,000. So you're a busy it's department. Very, very busy department. When I came on the job, we had 40% more than what they have now in half the runs. Hmm. So now, conversely, now we're 40% leaner and we're doing twice the runs we used to do when I first came on the job. Right. So in 2019, you know, your department is training, they're doing their everyday business, and then all of a sudden you get hit with two critical mass incidents. Uh, one were the tornadoes, and then unfortunately, well, that was unfortunate too, as well as the, the mass shootings. Take us through, uh, let's, let's start with the mass shooting first, and uh, talk about that, talk about how your department handled it, what you learned. And how'd you heal? Yeah, that, that was a definitely a difficult um, operation. We have strategies and or tactics in place to where uh, when you have a mass casualty incident or an active shooter incident, uh, we work with the police on this, on the active shooters. Um, but so we have some familiarity with how we were to operate. But plans are only good for so long and then... Uh, you, you get in into the mess, then then it's kind of tough. Uh, so anyway, this mass shooting, uh, active shooter came in in what we call the Oregon District, which is an entertainment district uh, on the edge of downtown. So it came in as a uh, they have a person shooting, and um, so with the shooting, we get dispatched an engine crew and a medic crew will respond to the shooting, and they'll stage wait for police. To, to secure the scene. 
uh, that's our strategy. That's our tactics. The police know that, and they're there to let us know when things are secure, then we'll come in. Well, before the crews could ever get out of the firehouse, then it became in. Police were showing up, and they were telling dispatch that there was multiple multiple victims. They had a the person had an assault rifle, and so all so dispatch based on their protocols they started dispatching a mass casualty incident which would bring out a district chief and and multiple fire apparatus multiple uh, transport units and then ultimately this grew to where the entire region we had mutual aid we had about i think we had 16 medic units um seven our own and then nine from from the rest of the region that came in and staged. So then that's when it kind of got a little messy because we never received the all clear. District chiefs would not allow our folks to go in until we received an all clear. Ultimately, we did receive that. Uh, police were, were taking uh, some of the patients themselves to the hospital. And then ultimately, uh, we received the all clear. We came in, we started doing our thing. Uh, there was, it's, it's chaos because it was an extremely busy night. It was, uh, in the middle of the summer, it was a Saturday night and it was just packed with people. The saving grace was we had, uh, I believe it was six police officers were literally right next to the bar that this person attacked with this assault rifle. Clearly, this person must have had tunnel vision because they didn't see the six police officers there. And they took this person down in less than 30 seconds. And um, because had he got into that bar, it was packed. There was nowhere to go. Our crews, uh, they, they finally get in. They start, We set up our triage treatment and transport and uh, started managing the situation, getting people where they needed to go, triaging them and transporting them to the hospital. Uh, multiple people down fatals obviously and it's it's a very tough situation and uh for the police as well as the fire and then ultimately uh we you know we kind of stuck around police were doing their thing and then uh once the investigation was done we had to clean we didn't have to we wanted to clean and clean the area up to help the the process because we knew when daylight hit people would be coming out and they didn't, we didn't want them to see what was left over. So, uh, yeah, it was tough on the department, police and fire. We, uh, leveraged all of our, uh, critical incidents stat, uh, stress debriefing resources, brought them in, a retired firefighter, um, partner was a, uh, professional, uh, social, not social worker, but counselor. Brought her in. Police brought in a, a, a Air Force officer that's, that volunteers with them to bring in to council staff. And this went on for, uh, for weeks and months, trying to work with the personnel, helping them kind of get, get over this. And then while this is going on and a parallel track, the police staff, headquarters staff, and the fire headquarters staff were debriefing and we're working together to see what went right, what went wrong, and how we're going to move forward. And fortunately, the police chief and I were very close, and we had already had things in place when, where we were starting to work together. And, how, uh, and so that kind of helped us hit the ground running 
because there were some things. There's some, some miscommunications. And Steve, you know, and everyone else out there listening knows that communications is always a big struggle in these type of scenarios. And so we started working on those communication skills and how we're going to make things better. And, um, and we did that. And uh, things are moving along. Uh, our emergency planner is the emergency planner for the entire city. So this emergency planner took up the task of how we're going to get better from this and started having exercises with us and the police and the other city departments. And uh, again, this would ran in parallel with working with our staff and, uh, and working with our staff and, and working with the, the counseling and to get the people the help they need. And really this, this helped because there's a lot of issues going on in the fire service across the country, people struggling with what they're seeing. And so we're finding out this is becoming uh, big and it's important. And that's part of our emergency plan in the Dayton Fire Department now. When you talk about communications, what were the issues and how have you resolved them? To get a clear communication that the, the scene is secure. And uh, it's just a culture difference on how the fire department operates and how the police department op- police department operates. They operate, they don't operate necessarily as teams with a central person speaking for the team. They are, in this case, they had 30, 40 individuals out there. And the person that was in charge had a lot on their plate. But we have to hear from that person or someone representing the police department, this is command, the scene is clear, and we never received that. Mm-hmm. So, so those are the barriers we had to break. And you would think this is a very simple thing to do, but it is not. Not when you have, you know, you have double-digit fatalities and double-digit, you know, uh, uh, casualties. And you're not only trying to um, address those casualties, you also want to make sure the threat is clear. Which was another part of it, which I I, uh, did not cover. At some point, as our crews were being dispatched, we were told there were multiple shooters at at the incident. And when we arrived, we'd only heard that, and we didn't hear officially from them, but we could hear the radio communications that uh, the threat had been uh, neutralized. But we kept sending out asking for confirmation that all shooters have been neutralized or everything's been cleared and we never received that. So those are the communications that we had to work through. And um, unfortunately, because of this, the communications and our uh, cooperative uh, uh, management mercy scenes are better now. Well, that's good to hear. And then the tornadoes hit. We had, it was Memorial Day weekend. And we had um, up to like 12 tornadoes hit in the area with the EF4 hitting Dayton. It's actually started in the northwest suburbs, and it went like 14 miles and ended um, just on the east side of Dayton. But it tore through Dayton. We have never taken a direct hit that I could recall of that. Well, we've never taken a direct hit of that magnitude uh, in the city of Dayton. Uh, just the day before, we had a KKK rally downtown that we had been spending three and four months preparing for. And so uh, we had uh, 
hundreds of police officers from around the state in town. The fire department had canceled all vacations. The fire department was all hands on deck. That was here. And this was on Saturday of our Memorial Day weekend. And um, I guess, so we spent three or four months preparing for that. Our emergency planners uh, had a uh, hand was full. I mean, so managing this entire thing turned out very well. No one was hurt. There was no violence. Uh, the folks went back to wherever they came from, and uh, we went about our uh, normal routine that evening. Well, it was about 24 hours later is when the tornado hit. After, you know, so this was Saturday was a rally. Sunday night about midnight, maybe a few minutes before, it was dark out and the tornadoes hit. And we came into town. Uh, the headquarters staff came in. We had to start managing the incident. EF4 made a direct hit right in Dayton. It was dark. You couldn't see anything. Crews were listening to the radios on the crews. They couldn't see the lines down. They couldn't find people. Uh, but they're they're managing based on our uh, tactics and our strategies. So the district chiefs put crews together doing grid searches and uh, trying to do the best they can. And uh, incredibly, uh, at the time, we didn't know. We just hadn't heard of any injuries. But incredibly, we had almost, we had less than 12 injuries. And and, and even those injuries were mostly just uh, cuts from flying debris and glass. We're sending crews out to other communities while we're trying to manage our own city. But other communities that were that were smaller departments, smaller communities, they were hit extremely hard. So we're trying to help them. And uh, so our crews, so th- this went on for, you know, for several days. And, uh, but we got through it. And uh, with uh, a lot of damaged structures, a lot of businesses, uh, they're resilient. They bounced back. They found other places that do business until their buildings were rebuilt. Uh, we had people, uh, volunteer agencies coming in, working with the public, getting them food and water. And we're constant. And we had other communities coming in, helping the city of Dayton uh, clear brush and trees. These are obviously communities that weren't touched by the tornado. I guess, um, you know, for never, for not having been hit by a tornado in a uh, uh, this magnitude, we did about as well as you could expect a department to do. Jeff, as the chief, having two rough incidents back to back, what was your strategy? What were your thoughts? How do you heal, how did you heal the department? Well, uh, again, you just uh, you have to count on your subordinates to uh, identify people struggling. You have to use your subordinates to keep the ball rolling. You know, our messaging to the department was, you know, today's another day. We can't, you know, we can't um, sit back and look to see what happened yesterday. We have to keep moving forward uh, while still checking in with our personnel that are hurting, and uh, which we did, and making sure we're still managing, you know, those, uh, those people have struggling with what they've seen and what they observed. Um, so you couldn't, you, know, you just had to stay uh, locked in with your department, but you had to keep moving. You know, it's uh, the public expects you to still be looking out for their public safety and helping them out um, while you're still trying to manage your own your own stuff. 
On a lighter note, are you a sports fan? <laughs> oh, yeah. What's your favorite sport? College football. Okay. And, and from a pro football standpoint, do you have a favorite team? Yeah, I, I watched the Cincinnati Bengals. Oh, no, 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 no. Come on, Chuck. It, it, was a great, it was a great podcast up until that point. I'm sorry. It was a great podcast up until that point. No, not the Bengals. Well, I'll tell you what. It's, uh, I'm hoping you're feeling my pain because it's been a number of years. It's kind of hard to watch them yeah, well, you know, I, growing up in Pittsburgh, I'm a Pirates, Steeler, and Penguin fan. Even here in North Carolina, uh, I still root for home teams. So we might have to have another conversation about your taste in pro, in pro football. Yeah. Well, Jeff, I appreciate you spending a few minutes on the podcast. Thank you very much for joining me. Well, thank you, Stephen. It was a pleasure. It's an honor uh, just to reach out, wanting to hear about my career and uh, hear how the Dayton Fire Department addressed some of the tragic 2019, uh, you know, it, it was, it was something I thought, I guess, uh, the mayor and the city manager, they talked with me and they go, I can't repeat what they said because, you know, it, it was a four letter word, but, uh, 2019, they were ready for 2020, not knowing what was going to hit them in 2020. Right. They said they were, they were done with the year. It was tough on everybody. And everyone says, hey, this is going to be the big one when they're talking about an incident. And I consider 2019 the big one because we just had one thing after another. And it really is tough on the people. But, you know, we went through the fire department operated with class leadership. When I say leadership, those lieutenants, captains, uh, district chiefs and all the personnel, they just got the job done. Well, again, Jeff, thank you very much. Thank you for joining me. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.